So today we're gonna talk about off with the old, on with the new. Off with the old, on with the new. Now it's time for some change. And so he's gonna get real practical here. And, and talking about this walk that we lived in, and remember last week, he, he even began talking about how that we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. We put off the old self and we put on Christ. Let's get into that. What does that look like? All right, we live in a world. Yeah, we do. We live in some kind of world, don't we? We live in a world where, in a day where there's all this, how's that, how about this phrase, virtue signaling and stuff going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, you, you've heard that. How many is like, what are you talking about? I don't even know. Okay, it, it, that means nobody really cares. But anyway, people that are moral grandstanding. People want to post things online on all their social media accounts to make them appear like they're morally, morally maybe good or better than other people. And especially, especially they like to post things and it could be them holding a sign, you know, that's trying to stand up for something or protest something bad or whatever. And, and so here's the whole point. You know, they want to, they want to appear like I'm this or that, but they don't do one single thing to actually help people. They just want to, like, here's my T-shirt, and here's what it says. Yeah, I'm, you know, somebody. Notice me. It's about, notice me. We live in a world of that. I mean, that's what's going on around us. It's just signaling. It's nothing more. It's not real. Uh, This right here is significance. It's real. What does it look like? All right, let's read it. You ready? Here we go. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Verse 25. It says, therefore, when you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. I had a teacher when I was in college that sounded just like that. I say that. And it's there because of what he just said. All those things we just kind of rehashed. He says, therefore, because of all of this, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I'm glad we can put some of these points and verses up there now. So please try to follow along because here's, here's the thing. Are you ready for this? The most reliable evidence Not just signaling. I'm talking about real evidence. The most reliable evidence of you belonging to Christ and following Christ is not just saying you had a past experience of receiving him. I mean, that's important. But anybody can say that. It's not 
a past experience. It's a present life reflecting Christ. It's not a past experience of receiving Christ. It's a present life of reflecting Christ. I mean, that's the most powerful. You're actually reflecting him in the way that you live and what you do. Now, it's not what you say. It's not what you post or tweet. It's what you do. Now, that doesn't mean we're saved by what we do. We're not saved by works, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? Not of works, but it is a faith that produces action. It is a faith that I am surrendering. The song we sang earlier about us surrendering. We're surrendering. We're surrendering to him and we're trusting and relying totally upon him. And it unleashes the presence and the power of God through my life. How can I be the same? Well, one way I can sometimes be the same is this new me's living in this old sin-cursed flesh. And I still have a fleshly nature, right? How about you? Are any of y'all as perfect as God? Any of you as perfect as Jesus today in all your thoughts and all your actions? No takers? Okay, because any of you guys that do, your wife's giving you an elbow right in the ribs and we're gonna hear you scream. So I'm still, and one of these days we're gonna be made perfect, but as long as we're in a sin-cursed world, in our sin-cursed flesh, we deal with that fleshly nature. There's that battle Paul talks about in Galatians 5 about the flesh lusting and desiring against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and about that turmoil that happens. So there are times I can, I can yield to my natural, weaker, sinful self if I want to, but if I'm really putting faith in him as a faith that produces action. In fact, in 1 John uh, chapter Two verse four, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. <laughs> wow, John doesn't mince words, does he? So if you're going around, you're saying, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, but you're not following his teaching and there's nothing showing in your life, then John says, I'm calling you out, man. You're lying. You don't know him because if you know him, something's gonna happen in your life. You know, you're going to be trying to grow. New creatures act like new creatures. It's not that we are perfect yet, as I said. It's not like we become some spiritual robot reacting to divine impulses. What it is, you still with me? We react every day and make decisions every day of whether we are going to walk or live in the flesh or by the power of the spirit according to the word of God. You make that decision. God's not turned you into some kind of robot. Paul talks about how he, even when he was writing uh, to the Corinthians, he talked about how that he, even Paul, as awesome as he was, that he used athletic term about how he tried to stay disciplined, to, to stay disciplined uh, concerning his fleshly nature. Here's how he says it. He says it in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, but I discipline my body. That's that flesh part of me. He said, and bring it into subjection. Now, in the original language, he's, he's almost using boxing terms here. And you know, the original Olympics were happening during that time. Paul loves to use athletic illustrations. And this is actually one of them about, you know, I, I punch myself. I keep myself under 
lest when I preach to others, I myself should come become disqualified. He says, I keep myself disciplined. He says, it's not on autopilot, you guys. I may be teaching and telling you things, but he said, I still have to discipline myself every day because I don't want to tell you one thing. And then just like someone in a contest, I break the rules and I'm kicked out. That's what he's saying. I don't want to become, you know, and, and like in those games, they had the, the, uh, the judgment where, and you know, we've seen it happen in the Olympics that, you know, there may be somebody that win the relay, but they didn't hand it off correctly. They, 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 they passed the, the, the barrier of where they were supposed to have it handed off and they're disqualified. Something like that. Or, or you long jump and you scratch by that much. You may have out jumped everybody by a foot, but if you went that far over the mark of where you're supposed to jump, you're disqualified. That, that, that jump is no good. Paul says, I don't want it to be like that in my spiritual life. So now, um, that old sinful nature still resides there. And so I can live as a new creature in submission to Christ, or I can, I can, I can let myself get in bondage. I mean, you could all probably say amen right there if you wanted to because you've done it in some areas. Okay, I'll take a head nod. I'll take that, I'll take that. So we put off the old. He said that we put off the old self. We talked about that a little bit last week. So we can put on the new. You don't put the new on over. You put off the old so you can put on the new. Remember I gave the illustration about Lazarus, the grave clothes, you know, because he's like dead and they wrapped him up. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the stone had been, you know, rolled away so he could come forth. They're all worried about it. You know, we're rolling that away because he might, you know, smell because he'd been dead. But he didn't smell because, you know, God was doing something here. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, like, walks out, but he's like still wrapped up like they did people back then. You know, it's kind of like the mummy. And so people, how, what was that like to be there? People weren't like Lazarus. People were like, you know, mummy's tomb, right? Here he's coming out, you know, his arms. Maybe it's like this, you know, he can't walk good. And Jesus has to tell him like, go let him loose. (laughs) People were like dumbfounded. Lazarus didn't want to walk around in those old grave clothes for the rest of his days, did he? Get rid of them. Put on your regular clothes. Put off the old self. Put on the new, right? The old you was dead in sin. So when we do that, then we're able to, with his presence in us, show real life and real progress and grow up in Christ. This is part of that worthy walk he's been talking about all chapter. This is part of building up the body of Christ. This is part of maturing in the faith. It's going from one thing to a whole new thing and better. How much? How many of us like better? None of us like worse. We like better. So we're going to go from one thing to something better. We should want that. Okay. From let's get in it. Ready? From speaking lies to spreading truth. We go from speaking lies. To spreading truth. He's just going to get practical. I'm just going to throw some of it out here, okay? He says, therefore, put away falsehood or lying. Let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor. If you are living in the truth, you should put away lies. If you're supposed to be living in the truth, you should put away falsehood. Now, a lie is a statement that is contrary to fact. Spoken with the intent to deceive, especially in order for you to gain an advantage over somebody. Somebody, you know, I might, somebody might say something like, uh, I'm going to go to town. Then you see them at the post office. Thought you said just going to town. You lied. 
No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. This is something where you tell something you know is false because you're trying to deceive someone to get an advantage over them. That's the definition. Have you got that? Good, I can move on. A believer can fall into lying just like you can fall into other sins. Did you know that? But if your life, listen to me, if your life is a habitual flow of lies that proceed from a heart that seeks to deceive, you've got to honestly evaluate whether you're really following Christ or not. If that's the normal habit of life for you. And that's why he says you should go from spreading lies to speaking truth. Because our lives are to be controlled by truth now, not lies. The person who continually deceives others with lies as a regular part of their daily living is not following the pattern of Christ. You're following the pattern of the enemy, Satan, the devil, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? In speaking of the devil, that's why that's in brackets, he, the devil, because that's the context there. I'm just giving you one verse in John 8, 44, says he, the devil, Jesus said, was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies or the father of all lies, you might say. So if this is you, then you are following the enemy. Satan lies about God. He lies about Christ. He lies about life. He lies about death, about heaven, about hell, about scripture, about good, about evil, about everything. Now, there's a reason. So we go from this to speaking truth. There's a reason. One of the reasons he brings up here is you are members of one another. It's like lying to yourself because you're all supposed to be part of the same body, same family. Uh, As members of one another, we affect each other. And we can't build each other up apart from truth. That means there's some things we need to be honest with each other about that We don't need to lie because we're just want to make you happy. That's another thing there, isn't it? Like our physical bodies can't function properly if every part of the body's not working correctly. Uh, Spiritually, we don't function right if 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 each part is not communicating truth. You know, if my hand is sending lying signals to my brain, what are you doing out there, hand? You know. Oh, man, it gets crazy, doesn't it? Um, I'm thinking about some old skit. I can't remember where I saw it, where it's like the person's hand just decided to do its own thing, you know, and they're trying to deal with it. But uh, that's as ridiculous as how it is to operate as a body of Christ, and we're not speaking truth to each other. It's kind of like the real danger of leprosy, now known as Hansen's disease. You can look it up. Um, it's a disease where they finally found it's a bacteria that works in the, in the skin and it begins to affect areas and it, and it basically affects the nerves. So what happens is, is you lose sensation and a lot of people with leprosy will lose fingers. They'll lose eyes. They'll lose ears because they can't feel right. It was, um, like, um, 
you know, close to your uncle that time that, you know, the, the, the burner was on. You know, the, the, when they come out with the, 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 the stoves, they're just like glass on top, and they've got the little burners. They don't have like actual, you know, they're underneath, and they kind of turn red, you know, and then you turn it off, and they turn back, but there's a little light says, you know, the stove top is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, like, you know, this kind of new uncle, whoever it was, uh, great uncle, sits down, you know, and just puts his hand right on it, you know. And because he's only has so many calluses, it's just, uh, you know, what's cooking, folks? Oh, it's me. Hand me a spatula. Get that hand off of there. Uh, but, but the problem with leprosy is, is you can't feel pain. You don't like pain, but pain is really helps protect you. Did you know that? Pain protects. Something's painful is because it's protecting something in us. And uh, without that, many times they would, uh, you know, do damage to limbs and, and things like that. Um, and that's what happens in the body of Christ when we're not functioning and speaking truth to one another. So we go from spreading lies to speaking truth. But then we also keep moving. We go from anger that destroys to answers that deliver. Now, why you want to live in anger that destroys? Because he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. Emotionally, you're all stirred up because something has displeased you or possibly hurt you. Now, it is possible to be angry and not sin because he just said so. Am I on to something here? It's possible. It's possible. But it's a big danger here. Um, even the Bible says God is angry. He is displeased and shows his displeasure. One time he just said, you know what? I'm, I'm mad at you guys. Deuteronomy 9 verse 8. Also in Horeb, you provoke the Lord to wrath Moses reminds them, so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. I mean, he, if I, you know, the Lord was, yeah, okay, so he was angry. So there is a thing, we call it what, righteous indignation, really? That's what we call it. Remember the time Jesus was so displeased when he got to the temple? Now, it doesn't specifically say he was angry, but the way, what he did was he slowly braided this cord and he, he drove people out. The money changes. Because what they were doing is, is on, especially like around, uh, around Passover and things like that, um, you had to have, right, you had to offer, like your sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be a certain type and all of that. And what would happen is, is the high priest and everybody would reject you. If you brought your own, they rejected it. And, and, but here we have some lambs and we have some doves. We have different things that we're using sacrifices that are temple approved. You know, they were raised by our people specifically for this purpose. And they jacked the prices up like you wouldn't believe. They were ripping the worshipers off, sticking the money in their pockets. When you paid the temple tax, you had to pay it in their currency. And many of them had currency from other places. But guess what? You could come and get, you know, the right stuff and they would money change it. And they ripped them off. They were coming to worship. Oh, and by the way, if you study it out, all of this was set up in what was known as the court of the Gentiles of the temple complex. The only place non-Jewish people could come to worship God and they couldn't even get in there to get to know him because of all of this ripping people off stuff going on in there. And God himself, oh, this is so, this is a powerful moment, isn't it? The very God that they were trying to worship shows up in human flesh and they don't want him there. And he tries to clear the way out so folks like us could come. But it, remember, he turned over their tables and he drove them out. 
And, you know, the high priests are like, man, we don't like this, but, they, you know, they knew he was right. But it kind of sounded like he was upset, doesn't it? So it is possible. It is possible to have righteous indignation. So anger can also, it can be a natural reaction. It's a defense mechanism that we're wired with, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're walking along and you step on the dog's tail. They're, you know, you weren't ready for that, were you? But anyway, uh, the dog wasn't ready either. So it's, it's a surprise. It's a defense mechanism. That's why, that's why when I was a young guy and I would be sitting at the house watching TV like this and my brother, the knucklehead that he can be, come up and thump me right on the funny bone. That's why that time I jumped right up ready to swing at him. Now, the Lord got a hold of me before I did. This was like when I was in college, okay? It wasn't the other day. And my dad, that was the first time Clarissa was shocked at my dad. Of course, my dad, you realize, was younger than, a lot younger than I am now at that point. My dad jumps up and he grabs both of us by the collar. And we're not going to do this here, boys. I want both of you. And we believed him. But my dad, who's always so quiet, got pretty loud that day, didn't he? But that's a defense mechanism. I mean, before I knew it, I was like, ah! So, does anybody understand what I'm talking about there? Getting so much blank looks today. Um, I don't know whether it's you or whether it's me or a combination. Um, but it's been said sometimes that a person's anger can smolder. When it does that, we call it malice. But the same anger can suddenly burst forth and destroy. We would call that wrath. It all comes from anger. Warren Wiersbe said, it's difficult for us to practice a truly holy anger or a righteous indignation because our emotions are tainted by sin and we do not have all the same knowledge that God has in all matters, end quote. That's true, that's true. But it can be, it can be a natural reaction, defense mechanism, but it can still lead to sinful thoughts and actions, even at that. But it can also arise from your selfish desire to control everything and everybody. And when you don't get your way and things don't work out the way you want, you get mad and you throw a fit. I've heard of people doing that. I have. Oh, my. See, I'm thankful I had parents that didn't let me buy with that when I was a kid. I'm not ashamed of my age. I'll tell you what, a few weeks ago I turned 54. I'm 54 years old. I haven't lived in Rosebud, Arkansas since I was 18. And after all these years, in my home church there at Mount Bethel, there's a kid starts throwing those fists where they flop down on the ground and do all that stuff. They still call them Melvin Fitz. I don't understand that. I don't do that anymore. You know, I had a few bad years way back there in the 70s. Come on, give me a break. But what's sad though, you see kids do that. That's that selfish nature. That's that sinful nature we're born with. The Bible tells about it. What's bad is if you get to be an adult, you might do it in different ways, but it's the same thing. It's anger because you want to control things and you want everything to go your way. I finally found out if everybody has to do what I want them to do and everything goes my, has to go my way for me to be happy, guess how many people can ruin my day? Huh? You have no control over that. 
You just have to submit to the Lord. My brother was testifying to a friend at a funeral recently that if you don't believe that God works miracles like splitting the Red Sea and doing things that significant today in our day, you didn't see what God has done with his temper. Because <laughs> he knew it growing up with me. And I appreciated that word of testimony from my brother. Amen. To just how he saw God work in this area in my life. So here's a warning. Don't sleep on it. Some things you should sleep on, not this. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Bad things happen. Nothing good grows in the dark. You get angry and you allow it to fester. And no matter where it came from, it can turn into malice. It can turn into bitterness. It can turn into unforgiveness. It begins to grow and turn into perhaps hate red. It can become the root of a murderous attitude. It's what Jesus warned about in Matthew 5, verse 21 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, you know, you hate someone without a cause. You're as bad in your heart as a murderer. Remember that? And there's a second part to that warning. Don't give the devil an opportunity. If we don't deal with the source of anger, it will lead to sin, which turn, in turn gives the devil a foothold in our lives. Satan hates God and God's people. And when he finds a believer with some anger in there that's not being dealt with, he'll start fanning those sparks until he gets a flame. And then see how much damage he can do. So both lying and anger can give place or give an opportunity to the devil. I don't want to give him a foothold, okay? He's warning us here. Horace was right when he said, anger is momentary insanity. Right? A woman tried to defend her bad temper saying, yeah, I may explode, but then it's all over and I'm okay. And someone say, yeah, but everybody else is not okay. <laughs> Just like a shotgun, it explodes and it's all over, but look at the damage that can be done. Anyone can become angry, wrote Aristotle, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, this is not easy, end quote. Solomon had a better way of saying it. Here's how he said it. Proverbs 15:1: a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Lord, help me to remember that tomorrow. Amen? Okay. This is why he cautions us here. He cautions us to sin not. Be angry, don't sin. So we go from uh, this kind of anger uh, that can lead to all kinds of stuff. Uh, this anger that he describes here as that destroys. And he wants to give us, instead of that, he wants to give us answers that deliver. But then he also wants us to go from stealing. It's not just quit doing that. See, that's the thing. It's not about, don't do this, don't do that. I need to know what to do. So every one of this is just like, not just don't do that, do this. It's not just a bunch of don'ts. And I admit, when I was a kid growing up in the church, there were a lot of times it just felt like, don't, 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 don't. You know? It's like, wow. Talk about, you know, a cosmic killjoy. Is that what God is? But I found out it's not about the don'ts. Because when I'm trying to don't do something, I'm probably going to do it. Because it's already on my mind. Right? You see that sign? It says, don't touch. 
wet paint. I would have never thought about touching. But now, I have to know. Yep, a little bit tacky still. You know, it's just like that's the way that human nature works. I've got to have more than a don't. I do need to know about the don't, but I need more than that. It's not all about don'ts, right? There's a lot more do's in the Bible than there are don'ts. If you stay busy doing the do's, you don't have time to do the don'ts. Right. Do the do's so you don't have time to do the don'ts. That's good preaching right there. So go from stealing to sharing. Don't do this, but do this. Thou shalt not steal is one of the Ten Commandments. And when God gave that commandment, God himself instituted the right for private property. I believe that. Because otherwise, then, how do you steal if it's not somebody else's? All right. He says this, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Just like Satan is a liar and a murderer, he's also a thief. John 10, 10, Jesus talking about the devil says, this thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He turned Judas into a, Satan turned Judas into a thief. John tells us later on that they found out that he used to steal from the money bag that they tried to have to buy food and stuff. He'll do the same to you if he can. Adam and Eve became thieves when they took what God said keep away from. Remember? God put in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. God's garden. He's the owner. I'm the one that can say, keep your hands off this, right? They took what they weren't supposed to take. So in a sense, you might say, Satan made them thieves. The first Adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise. But the last Adam, Christ, turned to a thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Hey, talk about contrast. When a person steals, he or she is trying to get something for nothing. God has said that man shall earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. A thief thinks that he's found the way out of that. And anything that you receive for which you did not work, you know, unless it's a gift maybe, but even sometimes then may not be properly valued. You don't value it as much as when you work for it, right? Paul had a lot to say about this kind of stuff. He said, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 and 11, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, he's not talking about being able. He's talking about being willing, okay? Being willing to work, let him not eat. If you're not willing to work, then let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That still goes on, I think, today. What about it? The Christian who does not work and especially provide for his own. Here's what he says about that. First Timothy 5, 8. If anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. One thing God wants you to do is take care of your own and take care of, of and so that is part of it, that we are to take care and we're to do honest work, he says. That's emphasizing working with your own hands. It stresses that the norm is for every person to be responsible, to take care of themselves and their own. And then the reason, further, big reason is that besides taking care of your own is that you can, whoops, I'm sorry, I got carried away there, didn't I? That you can share with those who have need, that they're in need. 
focus on the new life is not taking, it's about giving. That I, listen, I need to get to a point to where I can not only take care of myself. I mean, there's sometimes when people come to the Lord, we need to work with them and help them so they can get to the point that they can take care of themselves because they're not even doing that and take care of their own. And we try to help people as they're as growing as disciples of Jesus so that they learn to help take care of themselves and take care of their own and take care of their responsibility. That's huge for some people. There's a lot of people in our country think someone else or the government or someone else is supposed to take care of them. Part of the problem we got today, huh? You know, this whole shutdown thing has been so much more than just about like a virus. Because in shutting down, a lot of people are still shut down on the inside. Everywhere you go, is everyone still, did, did everyone die? Did, did, did everyone, is everyone still in that much fear? But why is it that, yeah, I mean, if, if, if people just think somehow I can just make it without working. And, and even though right now I've got a chance to get ahead and I've got a chance to get my debt paid off and I've got a chance to actually help others. I don't want to do any of that. I want to do the minimum amount I can and just squeak by on what I can get given to me. That's not a biblical principle It's like, where's there? Everywhere you go, we're short-staffed, we're short-staffed. We're, it, it, and no one, no one wants to take care of their, their own stuff anymore. I don't know. I don't, how long can that happen? But it's not just, but, but for some people, this is where it starts. They have, they've never done this before. They've never been taught how to, to be honest and do honest work and to take care of themselves and their, their needs of their family. But then it's not, that's not the ultimate the goal. The ultimate goal is where that you're not only doing that, then you're able to help someone who is in truly need. And we're all at one time going to be there. You've been there, you're there, or you're going to be there. And sometimes we need to not be so proud, but let other people help us. Right? Jesus taught us that when he washed the disciples' feet. And um, he talked about them washing each other's feet. Uh, you know, I could wash everyone's feet and just serve, you know. But then when you say, all right, stick yours up there. They're kind of dirty. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I got it. Sometimes part of it is letting other people help you. And I probably, many of us struggle with that more than, than the other, don't we? Sometimes it comes to that because we have to humble ourselves. Well, anyway, this is the reason we go from one to the other. All right, let's go ahead and move on through the rest of this. So he says, not only that, but go from filthiness to fruitfulness. When I'm talking about filthiness, we're talking about filthy mouth too. He says that uh, the communication that comes out of our mouth, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. It's not just cussing and profanity and things like that and dirty, nasty jokes. It's not just that. It's about gossip. It's about bearing false witness. It's about just running other people down. All of that, okay? Don't do that because uh, you put on spirit-filled communication. That's what we put on. Put that off. Put this on. The mouth and the heart are connected. Did you know that? Well, I may say stuff, but Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what they say? What's in the well comes up in the bucket. <laughs> Amen. Corrupt communication. It refers, the, the Greek word refers to something that was foul and rotten. Like there was a word that was applied to rotten fruit or vegetables or something spoiled. So like I said, it's more than just dirty talk. It's running others down, gossip, all of that. So I say, well, I always give people a piece of my mind. Sometimes you might need to, but sometimes you don't need to. Think about this verse, okay? 
Someone said, I just give people a piece of my mind, and the problem is you've given out so many of those pieces to so many people so many times through the years, it's clearly that your mind's lost so many pieces, it's not even working well. Maybe you should ask for some of them back. The answer is not corrupt communication, spoiled, rotten, yucky, filthy, but words that build up, that are fruitful, that that help people. Focus on, what does he say? But only such as good for building up. He says, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, that it imparts grace, that it builds up, it is edifying, it's appropriate, and it's gracious. Be gracious, that's where we give people what they don't deserve. Right? Well, they didn't deserve. Yeah, that's what grace is all about. You didn't deserve Jesus died on the cross for you. That's why Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace. Grace. You're going to err on the side of, don't give them what they deserve. (laughs) Be gracious. Season with salt. Just like food's kind of like blah, but you want to season it. So when I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to tell you something. I want to tell you the truth, but I need to season it with grace. He says that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Sometimes being blunt's necessary, but he says if you can put a little grace on there, be gracious. Here's the warning. Warning. It's like flashing almost in my Bible. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Not following this advice can result in the Holy Spirit being grieved and saddened because he's trying to lead you one way and you're going the other way. He's grieved and perplexed at you. His presence in you through the Spirit of God is like his stamp of ownership on you. You were sealed. Paul talks about that in first chapter. He says, you know, it's like his ownership that you're mine and yet you're going totally against that. Don't behave uh, and, and don't let the way you behave keep running opposite of the Lord who redeemed you. I want to keep growing in him. Last thing, we go from natural supernatural. This is where real hero stuff comes in. Because this is not humanly possible. Because he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's a wrap up here in these two verses. Because his presence is in you and you're, you're not wanting to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're wanting to go with the Holy Spirit and follow the way God is leading you. And because his presence is in you, you now not only have him directed, you have his presence. You have the power. You have the enablement to live above the natural, fleshly, selfish way. You don't have to be controlled. You could be, but you don't have to be controlled by anger. You don't have to be controlled by your tongue and by lies. You don't have to be controlled by selfish desire to take from others. You, you don't have to be controlled by any of that. You've got a new power, the spirit of God in you. So he says, let all get rid of this from all that natural stuff. The bitterness, the wrath, bitterness, that's hostility that poisons the inner person. Bitterness, when you become angry and just bitter at someone and you're not willing to let it go and get over it, whether it's your fault, their fault or whoever's fault. Bitterness on the inside, you might think that I'm just going to be bitter. But what it is, it's like a cancer on the inside. It spreads. It spreads to other relationships. It spreads to other parts of your life. God wants to help you. In fact, he says, put it aside. Boy, how freeing that is, amen? Bitterness can lead to wrath. Wrath, those are explosive 
outward expressions of an inward anger. That's wrath. Somebody flies off the handle, right? And then um, clamor. Clamor? You know, the Greek word is one of just crying out loud, brawling, screaming and hollering. And the Greek word, I don't know this, but it, it, it just reminds me, it wouldn't take much to go from the Greek word to the English word crazy. Maybe that's where it comes from. I don't know that. But, 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 but it's just like that crying out, brawling, like when people are fighting or screaming, crying. Uh, and then um, goes on, uses the word slander. Now, slander is evil speaking, blasphemy. It's an ongoing defamation of someone rising from a bitter heart. You just keep talking bad about people. And then, and malice, with all malice. Now, the word used there in the original language is a general term for evil attitudes and intentions. Just, just you mean bad towards someone. He says, you need to get rid of all, all of these, put away from you. But I don't just put them away and create a vacuum. It'll suck them right back in. I've got to fill that spot with things from God. See, if you just quit trying to do these things, it creates a vacuum and they come right back in. What you've got to do is fill with the good things of God, the word of God and the spirit of God filling you with the good things and it just pushes the bad out. It can't get back in because there is no room. That's why he says, put on this. Be kind to one another. Instead of that, do this. Focus on doing this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Kindness. Tender heart, he's talking about compassion. Thinking about other people, putting yourself in their place and forgiving. Forgiving can be a financial term where you cancel a debt. Jesus gave illustrations to that. Like the person who owed money and the debt was forgiven. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Our sins are like debts. So when God forgives, this is what Jesus was doing on the cross. Listen to me. If someone owes you $100,000 and you say, I forgive the debt, that means you don't have to pay it back. What about the $100,000? Somebody had to cover it, didn't they? The person who loaned it to you says, I'm just going to eat it, so to speak. Right? They pay it themselves. When Jesus died on the cross to forgive you, that means he takes all your sin debt. And instead of you having to be separated from God forever and punished for your sins, he said, I'll pay it. And he paid it in full on the cross. That's how you're forgiven. You remember that? He paid it. You had a sin debt. He can't just say, well, I'll just overlook that and let you know. It's a debt. When he says, I forgive you, that means he the loss. He suffered on the cross to pay it. The words on the cross, the last words, it is finished in the Greek is tetelestai. It was often used in accounting in that day when a bill was paid in full. Your sin debt was paid in full. And that's why he says forgiving others just like God in Christ. He did it in Christ because Jesus covered the debt. So you could be forgiven. That's what the Christian life's about. That's what it means to put off the old and put on the new. These are the graces God has shown to us. They are the virtues we're to actually live out. Not just signal from a safe distance. Let's pray. Father.